The Athletic. Lauren Hill. So difficult to stop. Oh! And then we're going to go to Hada. And then Kanten for Pernille Hada. Miedema. Miedema from the Dokers. Miedema. Goal, 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 goal. Deoro. Alexia Botella. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros Edition. Coming up, Netherlands never say never. High fives all round for Sweden. And can Switzerland take any pluses? It's Kate Borsay here and I'm reunited with the one and only Lindsay Hooper. Hi Hoops. Hello there. And we're joined by freelance football writer found at the Offside Rule and many other fine places, Jesse Parker Humphreys. How are you, Jesse? I'm good, thanks. How are you guys? Really good. I feel quite exhausted by the number of goals that we've just had to digest after this evening's games. Ten goals tonight and really quite a tense finish for the Dutch, Jesse. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it was exhausting because all the goals came at different times. So Sweden did them all in about a five-minute period at the end of the first half. And then the Dutch obviously decided they were just going to go for it from about minute 85 onwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the score lines, I think, uh, I mean, Sweden were very dominant, but the score line, I think, definitely flatters the Dutch tonight. Kate and I decided to divvy these games up. And uh, I was very generous. I said, Kate, which which game do you want to take? Sweden. You were straight in there, Kate. <laughs> I was, I was, because Sweden are one of my favourites for the tournament. And without giving too much away, I mean, I'm sure people listening to this probably know the uh, the results. Anyway, I'm feeling a little more optimistic after their performance tonight. Jesse, I know you've been travelling all over the country for the Euros. You sent me your itinerary before the tournament had started. <laughs> How are you doing? Are you hanging in there? Uh, have you lost your mind already? I think I lost my mind on about day three. Um, so <laughs> Now I'm used to having lost my mind, so I feel like I'm I'm just vibing through, vibing through. <laughs> Living in a state of subnormal permanently. <laughs> it sounds like maybe quite a nice blissful place to be. Has there been one particular game, Jesse, or a particular stadium that you've been to where you've just, I don't know, felt like you've arrived, felt like it's all about that? Yeah, I think for me, it was the Netherlands-Sweden game in Sheffield, you know, doing the Oranje March. And that game felt like it was one of the first games where two teams were really going at each other. I think lots of the games in the group stages have felt a bit one-sided at points, but that was like a real highlight, I think, for me and seeing two really good teams basically going toe-to-toe. And and that was the moment where I think as well, it not being an England game and seeing how many people were still there that felt like the tournament had really arrived. Well, here's the test. When you've been following so many matches, Jesse, what day is it? <laughs> so cruel. Sunday. But it oh, says it on my laptop. <laughs> it, it took too long, didn't it? That's that's the sign. That is the sign that you're right in the thick of tournament football. Oh, like I um, said, it's living in a happy subnormal way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bea said watching Spain last night that she found that completely nail-biting. It wasn't an enjoyable watch for her. I can't imagine it was heaps better for the Dutch fans tonight. This could be a chance here for Switzerland. Here's Backman, away from Spitzer, and pulls it back. Oh, there it is! Holmes, cross in. Oh, the goalkeeper's lost it, and it's in! And the Dutch seal their part through. 
Look at the 4-1 scoreline. You might think it was comfortable for the Dutch. Well, it was anything but for most of the match. After a goalless first half, the Swiss cancelled out their own goal thanks to Geraldine Reuteler. In the end, it was a late flurry of Dutch goals, two from Romy Lurkter and another from Victoria Pelleva, which sealed the win at Bramall Lane. And yes, it was a late flurry, Jesse. But really, there was an opportunity at one point where Switzerland could have gone 2-1 up and, and there was heaps of pressure looking like it was coming Netherlands' way. Yeah, there was a fantastic opportunity for Seoul to put them 2-1 up and I feel like, I think Robin Cowan said on the commentary, you know, the the fact that they, they've missed that one, that felt like the real moment and it was hard, hard not to feel that way, I think. Um, it's funny because the Swiss feel like they, they get in these modes of being where they're suddenly really in the game and then they just switch off out it you know they obviously had that fast start against Portugal and then kind of ended up drawing 2-2 they equalized as soon as Sweden scored against them ended up losing the game and then again here equalized almost immediately after the Dutch scored before absolutely you know I I mean I think once Leo Volti went off as well it was just like they'd basically given up on their hopes. Mm, I I thought Ramona Batman was brilliant in this again. She's that sort of player that you rely on to just keep the ball. It sticks to her like glue. And you need that sometimes just to relieve some of the pressure. And and I did wonder if she would be a big part if Switzerland could have got back in it. But we have to also be honest and say that Switzerland did fall apart in the final final five to ten minutes. Uh, Netherlands were just all over them. And you've got to think that that is going to be a huge confidence boost because although it was a tighter match than the scoreline suggests, they still look back on it and go, well, we won 4-1. And do you know what? I'm going to chip in quickly and say, great tweet from you, Jesse, where you say Ramona Backman has been for Switzerland, what Denmark thought Penilla Harder would be for them. That's how essential she was to the team. And I'm interested to hear, Jesse, what you think overall of the Netherlands' performance. Really, was it Switzerland taking their foot off the pedal or them finding their groove that meant that they then racked up all those goals, Jesse? I think there are a couple of things to take into consideration for the Dutch. Obviously, they've really struggled with both injury and COVID in the camp. And I think that's meant they've struggled to be able to have a a regular starting 11. They obviously lost Sari van Wienendal entirely from the competition. Anik Nouwen and Jackie Gronen were coming back into the squad today and Viv Miedemar is still missing. So I think that's contributed slightly to how slow they've maybe been to start against Portugal and Switzerland, although obviously they they scored very early on against Portugal. But I also think something that the Dutch have been really impressive at doing is is how good their substitutes have been. There's been a lot of hype around Esme Brutz, who's this kind of teenage wonder kid that they've got up front. But I've also been really impressed with Victoria Pulova, who who got the third tonight after a very, very long VAR check. Mm -hmm. And I think those players have given the Dutch this added impetus in terms of going forward. And I think maybe we've always seen this Euros as a bit of a transitional competition for the Dutch, obviously moving on from Serena Wiegmann, bringing in Mark Parsons. But you can also see that with some of the players who are, who are maybe starting to age out the squad, you know, Lika Martins, Daniela van der Donk. These are all players who are kind of now in their 30s. But I think it, whatever happens to the Dutch going forward in the knockout stages, they can feel really optimistic about the way their younger players have performed. Both goalkeepers, um, by all accounts, gave really strong performances, not just Talman, there could have been several more for the Dutch, but also Van Domselaar as well, who's come out of this tournament or will be coming out of this tournament whenever uh, the Dutch exit. And I'm I am wary about pushing them on to the final because I'm not entirely convinced about them yet. But she's been a real superstar, hasn't she, Jessie? And I just wonder whether that gives the Dutch coach a selection issue after the tournament's done. That's how good she's been. 
Yeah, I do wonder if Sari Van Vienendaal's injury has been a bit of a blessing in disguise for the Dutch. She obviously plays such an important role in that team, having the captain's armband and has been a huge part of the success over the past years. But I think we've generally seen she's got a mistake in her. She doesn't always make her defence feel totally settled. You know, in that original Sweden game where she got injured, she'd already taken out two of her own defenders uh, before she had to go off. So... Obviously, it's been a lot of pressure for Van Domselaar to come in and, and a lot of responsibility to take on her shoulders. But I wonder if it's also helped settle the defence in front of her, which has just generally made them gel together a bit more. And yeah, she, she had a really impressive tournament. She She's looked great. And I wonder if this is a case where it kind of works out well for Mark Parsons in terms of being able to bring in this younger, maybe currently better goalkeeper than Sari Van Vienendaal. Did you notice this, Jesse? Because you say only a fourth cap, Kate. But I think Van Dumpselaar might be wiser than her years. Did you see that when she had the tactical... I felt like it was a tactical timeout and the water bottle came on. She <laughs> She's been watching out an an burger. <laughs> yes. I think so. I think she really has. Um, it did feel like that was just buying the Netherlands some time at that point, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like all all good goalkeepers have to make sure they've got that that tucked up their sleeve for for when they need to, you know, calm everything down on the pitch. So yeah, I think wise beyond her years is the phrase there. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about Netherlands defence hoops? I know that they've conceded more goals now in this tournament, more goals in three matches uh, than when winning the competition in 2017. Is the defence an issue despite the goalkeeper being strong? Are you concerned about it still as we look forward to what happens next? I think it's still a work in progress. But the thing with the Dutch is the further that they go in a in a major tournament, as we've seen in the last two, they, they get into their stride and they find each other more. I think it is to do with communication for this defence at the moment and trying to keep that high line. I mean, Mark Parsons, we didn't see too many shots on TV of him when, when they were in defensive positions. Just a couple of times I noticed he was still ushering the message out. And I, I just don't quite think they're all on the same page yet. It's obviously improved. I don't know what you thought, Jesse. I thought it was marked improvement compared to the opening game of this tournament for them. But it still feels like it's something that they're settling into. Yeah, I think my concern for the Dutch is the amount of gaps they seem to be constantly leaving behind the defence. I think you can even see with the chances that Switzerland missed tonight how easy they found it at points to be in very, very good shooting positions. And again, I think maybe you can pinpoint that a bit to the the kind of chopping and changing they've had to do. But I do think it's interesting that Mark Parsons chose to bring Anik Naum back into that centre-back role when I do think Dominique Janssen is the better centre-back there. And and obviously he feels like he has to play Janssen at left-back, but I thought they they maybe looked at their best defensively when she has been actually mm. in that position rather than having now on there. Yeah, but more by default and not by his choosing. Well, clearly, yeah. Mm. Is it fair to say, Jesse, that it was all about the subs in this one in terms of making that clinical difference? I thought Pulova was fantastic. Yeah, I've been really, really impressed by her all tournament. I think, you know, coming into the Euro, she was someone I was really intrigued to see how she performed on the higher stage. Because I think something that's really interesting about this Dutch team is the Dutch domestic league kind of seems to be having a bit of a resurgence. We've seen a lot of players who've maybe been in the WSL moving back there as well, similarly from the German league. And they've also got this very, you know, exciting crop of young players who are at clubs like Ajax and PSV. And Pullover is one of those players. And The problem with assessing the Dutch league is you don't know how good the quality is. So I think it's Mm -hmm. been really heartening to see someone like her be able to perform against kind of the best of the best in Europe. 
Coming back to that defensive question as well, Kate, when you think about the next opposition that Netherlands have got, which is France, we saw with Switzerland, didn't we, that counter-attack and the way that they managed to punish them. I think that high line is going to be so dangerous against the French. Definitely. I think the concern, if I was Dutch right now, would be that France is strengths particularly now Katoto has been ruled out of the tournament, are going to come from their flanks. We have seen how you know devastating Karshawi can be bombing forward, how good Diani has been this entire tournament, and you know the ability to kind of cut in. And it's specifically that motion, I think, of cutting in from either the left or right, which is something that Ramona Backman has done very well throughout this tournament, but is a great example of what the Dutch should be worried about because the French players are going to do it on an extra level and they are going to be able to offer a player like, say, Diani doing that, the support that Backman just didn't get within this Swiss team. So I do think it is a concern for them. It's also about pace as well, isn't it, with this French team? I still don't think, I mean, as I said, I was only tuning in to, to small parts of this one because I was focused on Sweden today. But I thought the Netherlands, you know, still looked a bit sluggish. Now, OK, they could be finding their form at the right time, but they're going to have to be really, really wary of what France are going are gonna to put to them in terms of strength and pace, Jesse. Yeah, and I think Potentially the most comparable game to, to what the France game might offer is, is the Portugal one. And, and we saw they really struggled with the skill of players like Jessica Silva, Diana Silva. You know, even the Sweden game, which was ostensibly the hardest game they had in this group. Sweden are a team who, who we know don't necessarily always turn the screw, even when, say, they've got possession or something like that. And again, equally, we saw the Dutch really will under the England pressure, which is again, I think maybe a, you know, a very similar team in terms of how fast, direct, and and to be honest, brutal they can be. So mm. I do worry about that quarterfinal getting away from the Dutch very quickly. How much do you think the crowd could play its part in this quarterfinal? Because you mentioned being with that Aronje March, biggest attendance this one for a women's Euro match, not involving a host nation. So that's been broken again, just over 22,000. They do support in their droves mm. and they create that buzzing atmosphere, which has got to play into the, to the Netherlands' hands. Yeah, I I think they will play their part, definitely. I mean, I think you could see it even in the Sweden game that even though the Dutch started off kind of slow and they didn't really look in it, as time went on and their fans were in the ground and they were making noise, it was kind of like they began to remember, like, oh, wait, we're the holders of this competition. We're the European champions. and, And here's all these people who are telling us that. So I think, you know, that belief in themselves that will be reinforced by their fans is something that that should play a role because, you know, there have been a lot of contenders within this competition, like France, like England, who don't actually have the recent pedigree that the Dutch do. They mm-hmm. were in the 2019 World Cup final, you know, and a lot of the team that will play in this quarterfinal against France played in that World Cup final. Well, now we'll move on to the team who topped the group ahead of the Netherlands and they did it in some style. Let's go through to Blastenius again. Looking to make it five. Blackstenius! Oh, wow! This will count. Sweden do have their fifth. Dominant from the off, it was set pieces that gave Sweden a 3-0 lead at half-time with two from Man City's Philippa Angeldahl. So Captain Kosovara Aslani and Estina Blackstinius Beauty rounded off the 5-0 win at Lee Sports Village. Hot under the collar this one, 31 degrees at Lee Sports Village. And Portugal were their usual plucky selves. But I think it's safe to say that Sweden may finally have arrived at this tournament, Jesse. 
I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure if I, I will go that far, but I think obviously it was a big confidence boosting win for them. I think Portugal kind of rolled over in this game. I think there were some strange decisions from the coach in terms of, you know, switching out the goalkeeper and the set pieces that have continued to be the problem for them. Obviously, the Swedes were just kind of able to to really, really make the most of that. But, I, you know, I think it is fair to say that Sweden are a team who obviously have the pedigree to do very well in this tournament and you know just because you don't go out and smash everyone in your first couple of games doesn't mean you can't you know mm-hmm. grind out the wins and and that's basically what they've done right I don't know whether 5-0 is grinding out a win I might sort of differ <laughs> in opinion from you on this one um mm-hmm. look they had gone away and done their homework and they'd seen that Portugal fell apart against the Netherlands to Sherida Spitzer's corners. They just could not handle them at all. So Sweden took a little look at that and Portugal should have known better. And I also wonder, just taking a step back from it, whether whether I was expecting too much from Sweden. Was I expecting them to be too dynamic? Had I forgotten that Sweden do sometimes come into tournaments a little bit late, perhaps a little bit lethargic, not direct enough, not using the wings enough? And I probably probably had. Although I have to say, I know Portugal made some strange decisions, but towards the end of the game, Jessica Silva was absolutely brilliant. They were 4-0 down, Portugal. And she just took it upon herself to entertain the crowd. So we saw tricks whenever she picked up the ball. And I just thought, fair play, the crowd absolutely loved it. And look, for all, you know, conceding four goals, uh, Portugal still put on a show. And you would have loved it, Linz, watching this. There was a drummer who never gave up. There was a really passionate, vocal section of the crowd that were full of Portugal fans who were who were just absolutely loving the experience. And that made me so pleased that they found their way into this tournament courtesy of Russia uh, not being allowed to participate. Can you explain something to me, actually? Because I saw that it was a degree higher, wasn't it, at Lee Sports Village than it was in Sheffield. So 31 degrees. And I thought that's going to play to Portugal's favour, surely. So were there lots of drink breaks in this one, as many as we saw in the other game? And, and how did how did Sweden manage that? Just a couple of drinks breaks after about 25 minutes or so in each half. They didn't really have to use them tactically like perhaps Netherlands did because it was sewn up for Sweden pretty early on. Also, because I was flicking between the two, did I see that a black Stenius, and I have a vested interest in this because I think I tipped her for the golden boot. Did she have a goal ruled out? She certainly did. Yeah, Mm. yeah. Mm. So uh, it was another set piece, uh, but it went to VAR, found to hit Blackstenius's right arm. So that was chalked off. And then she did eventually get her goal, goal five into added on time got the ball in the edge of the box, curled it into the top corner. And actually, that was a great goal. So if you're looking for stylish goals, Lindsay, you I'm looking for right a number person. of goals from her. Okay. Well, look, I chose Katoto. Uh, so all I'm going to say is, like the kiss, I, I, I basically, you know. Who did you go with, Katoto's tournament. I went with Viv Miedemar, so I've had a oh, similar oh. issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. At least Viv will be back for the knockout stages, though. So. I hope. I do know two people who've gone... Beth Mead, Golden Boot. Oh, well, fair play oh, to yeah. them. Yeah. Just picking up on Sweden, Linz, I thought this was interesting. In commentary, Izzy Christiansen, who at Everton is a teammate of uh, Hannah Benison and Nat- Natalie Bjorn, was saying that actually the Sweden squad met up quite a bit later than the other squads, only 10 days before the tournament, I think. And I wonder whether that's contributed to their slow start. It feels quite a prescriptive thing to say. Maybe we're 
kind of, I don't know, adding up two and two and getting five here. But perhaps perhaps we are going to see more and more from Sweden. I don't feel like they're out and out tournament winners at the moment, but I definitely feel, as I said, I definitely feel better about them. Uh, I don't think Jesse mm-hmm. agrees with me. <laughs> No, I think the thing is with Sweden is they're a team who you know are always going to control a game, right? And if they can find a goal, you like to feel like they will hold on to a lead or something like that. So I would never want to write them off, but I just feel concerned that they've not solved the issues that stopped them winning gold at the Olympics. Just to expand on that further, what are those issues? Yeah, I think Sweden are a team who, despite having a huge number of very talented attacking players, still haven't found the best way to click them all together and also allow them to be on the front foot, which might require letting go of some of the defensive stability that they have. We've kind of seen them experiment with back threes, back fours, maybe to try and do that. You know, I thought it was interesting today that Natalie Bjorn was in the defensive midfield role rather Mm. than Caroline Sager or two. And ultimately, it still feels like they're kind of figuring it out. And and this mm. is also the funny thing, I think, with having the World Cup next year, that there's maybe genuinely some teams who are like, okay, we want to win the Euros, we want to give this a good shot, but we've also got an eye on this being a, a trial run for 2023. And I still wonder if Sweden are a team trying to figure out how exactly mm. everything and goes just together. And they're sort of thinking about it too much. I mean, Caroline Sager picked up a knock, so that's why she wasn't available and Nat- Natalie Bjorn was in that position. But you're right, perhaps they are overthinking it. Perhaps they're trying to be too clever. Perhaps Gahardsen, and I love Peter Gahardsen, as does Carrie Dunn, just total fangirls <laughs> for him. Perhaps he's perhaps he's thinking too hard about it. Uh, loosen up, Sweden. Enjoy yourselves. Come on. Mm. Um, back to Portugal, just because they obviously exit the tournament now. They weren't meant to be here. They're there courtesy of Russia. And of course, they were always going to be a- an underdog to a certain extent. But I actually think that Portugal can go back to their country, go back to their national association and can make the case for even more support as the momentum behind them grows. I think that they can take a lot of confidence from this tournament. I think they can take a lot of confidence and I think a lot of teams should look at how they've approached this tournament because I feel like they've been incredibly true to the principles of how they want to play, which is with kind of flair, creativity, going for it, not bothering to rehearse set pieces, you know, (laughs) (laughs) whatever works for them. But But I think also, you know, that has brought a kind of zest and enjoyment and fun to watching Portugal, which other teams who, you know, maybe have struggled as well could learn from because I think there's been a lot of teams in this tournament who it's just felt like they never believed they could get through and watching Portugal I always felt like there were players in that team who thought do you know what we could still get out of this group yeah and they were a team who didn't even qualify for the competition so and I I love their kits that's so important and that is what an addition they were yeah (laughs) I'm so pleased that they were there Sweden don't know their quarterfinal opponents yet. It will be one of either Italy, Iceland or Belgium on Friday. Do you think, both of you, do you think that they will easily dispatch whoever it is they face on Friday, Italy, Iceland or Belgium? Almost and which would Which would yeah. be the worst one for them to face? I feel like it may be be Belgium but I don't know why I don't know Iceland have been quite quite resilient in parts as well haven't they I, d- I oh gosh let, I don't let, know. let Jesse go Italy and then we've covered all bases <laughs> <laughs> I've been picking up Iceland all tournament and they've been letting me down with okay. every passing day so <laughs> <laughs> all right we just don't know is the outcome of that uh, little nugget from us 
All right. Uh, well, then Sweden's Magda Eriksson is through, but her girlfriend Penilla Harder isn't. That's the same for Spain's Mappy Leon and Norway's angry Ingrid. No, it's not. She's just Ingrid Engen, by the way, in case I mislead anyone. Uh, a video of Mappy Leon and Engen kissing after Saturday's game went viral yesterday. Love that. Role models being role models in more ways than one. In terms of couples that have both made it through, I think we've got to mention anne Catherine Berger and Jess Carter. Yeah, as well. Yeah, although um, not so many minutes for either of them. Maybe that makes it easier. (laughs) (laughs) They still got through. (laughs) You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euro Edition. Coming up on Monday, it's the last day of the group stages. Iceland look to challenge the mighty French and Italy play Belgium. France have already topped the group, but second place is anyone's for the taking. It's going to be even hotter as well, a scorching 33 or 34 degrees and that's even after 8pm. That might play a part in this. Iceland against France. What do we think? Without Katoto, who are we thinking will come in for attack for France, Jesse? Yeah, well, it seems like Saar is the favourite, right? Which yeah. I don't entirely understand. But then what can you understand about Corinne Diacra sometimes? Uh, <laughs> she's not really impressed in, in the minutes she has played. I think the logical replacement for me, would be Melvin Mallard. She deputised pretty well for Ada Hegerberg at Lyon when uh, Hegerberg was still out with injury. So, And then to be able to kind of maintain your your players on either side would make sense. But yeah, I, I feel like Saar is, is the obvious nod here. Yeah, and I wonder whether they're just going to keep relying on players like Diani for goals as well. It doesn't necessarily... They don't necessarily need to, need to rely on an out-and-out replacement, do they? No, I don't think so. I mean, France's attacking talent is is absolutely staggering. Mm. You know, there are players who, who we haven't even really seen. You think of Sandy Baltimore, Selma Basher, who can obviously kind of play as a winger or as a fullback, neither of whom we've, we've really had make an impact. I think for France, the, the main question will continue to be is what is that defence going to look like when it's placed under stress? I think... Griezmann and Wendy Renard are both fantastic central defenders, but we've maybe seen Renard over the past season or so struggle at points, especially against um, fast attackers. So I don't think we're gonna we're gonna find out quite yet what that looks like, but maybe in the knockout stage we'll get a better idea of it. Are we going to see a low block from Iceland, Jesse? Because France have scored all their seven goals so far in the first half. And you'd think for the the first 45 minutes, if they can get to the break and have frustrated France, then they might have a, a bit of a chance. Yeah, my worry for Iceland is that they've been very good at doing the like first half frustration thing. They do, then just seem to give it up in the second <laughs> half, which is very, very annoying given that I keep backing them. But I still believe that they have the ability to do it I think it's always very hard to know how teams when they've already topped the group and it's all sorted are gonna go into these final group games you know are there going to be a whole host of changes then if those new players come in do they have the mentality of well we want to show what we can do before we get into the knockout stages or is it just more like everything's a bit disorganized and then you know a team like Iceland does have an opportunity to think well we can go for the win I still want to back my gals, 
but I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to happen for me at Jessie, this point. Jesse, <laughs> Look, when they get the ball, Iceland, they've, they've basically got to play forward, haven't they? They, they, they? they just have to go for it because what else can they do against a team like France? Maybe you try and meet fire with fire, although we know that there's much more to France uh, than just attack. Um, but I think they, they've just got to go for it. And I'm, I'm actually looking forward to seeing Iceland unleashed Jesse, because that is the only way that I can sit. Well, I can't really see them getting anything from it, but let's see. The problem for Iceland, I think, is their their best, obviously, set piece is Svendis Strangeon's Dottir's long throw. But when you're coming up against France, you're then coming up against the tallest defender in the world. So I don't know if it has the same impact against Wendy Renard as maybe it does against an Italy or a Belgium. Speaking of Jans Dottir, did you see that someone uh, had a Jans Dottir shirt and they got their hair cut to look like a football with black and white pentagons and the ball lines, uh, which I thought was a fantastic effort at the best Euros haircut so far. Jesse, have you seen anything to rival that? When I got off the train at Sheffield for that Netherlands-Sweden game, I saw a man with dyed bright orange Netherlands hair. That was pretty impressive, I think. As did he look like a troll? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Then I saw a woman in a Sweden dress and just thought, wow, I'm, I've really underestimated the vibe in this city. <laughs> <laughs> on to Italy, Belgium. Um, Belgium have drawn one all and lost 2-1. Only Finland have faced more shots than them at the Euros. So when you say about your blind faith in Iceland, I don't know why I said <laughs> that I could see Belgium potentially making the it through. The heart wants what the heart wants. I can't help it. I, I, like, I know. I like the, the red. Now I can just hear, Monsieur, you are spoiling us. <laughs> I don't think Ferrero Rocher are Belgian, are they? But that's but that is the image I've got in my head. Someone serving up a massive pyramid of Ferrero Rocher for so you. So here Lindsay. we go. Fifty shots Belgium have faced. Fifty-one Iceland. What can they do to address that, Jesse? I think Belgium generally have impressed me actually at this tournament. I think they are, again, a team who've done very well at accentuating their best players. In this case, kind of Tessa Wooler and Janice Kamen. That goal against France, I thought, was spectacular from the both of them. And, you know, Italy are a team who definitely have incredibly underperformed. You know, so many people had them as their dark horses. And look, I think they could obviously still go through to the quarterfinals. But I don't think anyone really expected it would be, you know, this mediocre from them. And... Belgium have a have a really good shot here and I think maybe there's there's been an element of being kind of overlooked that's allowed them just to go out and and kind of try and do the simple things really well and not worry about too much else. The Belgium coach by the way is saying tomorrow we can really start in this tournament it will be a historic day for Belgium women's football I mean he's going big. Kiva O'Neill told us on this show that Nikki Evrod, the Belgian keeper, is her favourite. She did the goalkeeping piece on The Athletic, which is well worth a read. Evrod saved penalties in both matches so far. Could this be a third time? <laughs> and there's a superstition, you know, with this. So she has Vaseline on the goalposts as part of her superstition. And it's worked. So why not keep doing it? I don't know what the Vaseline does. Does it mean that the ball... So like slip the ball off or something? I don't think so. Maybe it's just about putting a bit on her fingers if she feels a bit dry. <laughs> She's got gloves on. <laughs> Take them off quickly. Well, superstitions aside, Jesse, is she your favourite shot stopper at the moment? I mean, my favourite at this tournament has been Ines Pereira. And that's why I was so gutted that Portugal dropped her today. Mm. So I kind of felt like once that happened, they did deserve to get out of the whole tournament because mm. she really has brought the most, you know, aggro and intensity, I think, from any goalkeeper this year. 
But if we're talking about uh, the opportunity to save penalties, Italy are a team who will try and win penalties. They've got that in them for sure. Um, I know they had a bad game against France, but they did come back and deserve that goal in the second half. They came from behind to hold Iceland as well. So look, I would probably lean into Italy for this one. If we're going for the win at all costs, I think I might trust Italy more with that. I'm just one. saying when it comes to the Golden Glove that a penalty save should count as double. She's done two so far. She does a third. She'd be well in front. Mm, true. Mm. But the penalties she saved have been awful. So I don't know how much <laughs> yeah. I can all right, write. All right, Jesse. <laughs> yes, true. <laughs> true. But you've got, you've got to be there to make the save still, Jesse. So true. All right. Well, that rounds up tomorrow's games. And that's all we've got time for on today's The Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros edition. Jesse, thank you so much for joining us. What match are you at next? Probably tomorrow, right? Well, no, the, the, oh. the next one is the big one, England-Spain. Uh, oh, final in Brian. good luck for that on Wednesday. Lindsay, what about you? Are you back on Team GT tomorrow? I am. So I'm, I'm doing interviews with Beth Mead Ooh. and Kira Walsh. What's your Beth Mead question? Come on. Or shall we give you a question for Beth Mead? You can give me a question. I've got my questions here. I don't like to reveal my questions, Kate, but I'll certainly add one in. What would you like? I'd like you to play uh, our song, please. <laughs> How about actually, uh, Beth Mead's on fire. I've got that one in there. Abby's going to kill no, me. No, no, that's, because that's not original. Uh, Jesse, because it's the first time you've been on the show since, uh, since the tournament's begun. How do you rank our most excellent songs? Should we play a little excerpt just to uh, remind everyone of the excellence in production? Hands to the left, me to the right. Ellen's up front, Millie's looking bright. They don't need introduction, follow Serena's instruction. Hand to the left, me to the right, Ellen's up front, Millie's looking bright. They don't need introduction, follow Serena's instruction. What do you think then, Jesse? I don't want to boast, but I've actually got... I, I've seen that Sue Smith has a dance routine to this. I've still seen it on Twitter, but I've actually got a really good and I think even better dance routine that I've Ooh. done to this song. So I'm hoping to debut it <gasps> We need to get you TikTok. and Sue together. <laughs> have yeah, you but put it's, it on it's TikTok yet? Not yet. No, I need to re- record it. But um, I, I, you might have spotted me at the Brighton and Hove Community Stadium doing the dance <laughs> before England <laughs> eight Norway nil. Oh, you are the lucky mascot. You absolutely need to go to every single. I know you're going anyway, but yes, you absolutely need to be there. Um, so Lindsay Hooper, my question to you is: Can you get a ranking out of ten for our song from Beth Mead? Okay, then. Uh, Mission accepted. (laughs) You're going to hate that I've asked you to do that, aren't you? No, it might actually be a nice icebreaker. (laughs) Absolutely love it. I think think she's going to go wild for it, Hoops. Uh, That's if she hasn't heard it already, because, of course, uh, we are on a bit of a mission. Thanks very much, then, uh, to you, Jesse, to Lindsay, to you as well. Good luck with Beth Mead. Uh, Thanks to producer Sophie. And our biggest thanks goes to you, the listener. Keep tuning in, by the way, to our daily Euros shows. We're one of the few places doing daily shows about all the teams so you don't miss a minute of the action. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to our channel and keep spreading the word, please. See you tomorrow. The Athletic.